1: Jerry and Tracy Polly, and their dog Ninja
0: Hey Jerry I'm so excited our
2: podcast Because I Want to Know and Hillbilly Horror Stories are doing a live event together in the Dallas area.
3: Yep, Saturday, October 16th. It's going to be so much fun. Dude, you just completely ignored the fact that Mysterious Circumstances and Hillbilly Horror
2: Stories
0: have a live event the night before in Galveston, Texas.
3: I did not. As a matter of fact, Justin, I was just going to bring up the Galveston show on Friday, October 15th.
0: Jerry, why are you doing a commercial with Justin? Once again, you have given him special treatment over me besides we have a special private dinner show in memphis on that tuesday october 12th tracy i would never give anyone preferential treatment over you
3: of course you wouldn't
0: thank you justin um hello leslie fear over here
3: now everyone's ignoring me enough get your tickets and more information at hillbillyhorrorstories.com we will see you there unless we kill each other first Hey guys, welcome to episode 260 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry.
0: And I'm Kristen.
3: Most of you probably noticed that that name didn't say Tracy. <laughs> so, um, this is actually the only the second episode that Tracy will miss. She missed the one when she was in Las Vegas, so she wasn't here to record. And we actually had all the kids do that episode. Oh yeah!
0: Yeah, so I've each one of the kids did
3: did a little section. Yeah. But this one, Tracy actually has been in the hospital since Friday. Everything looks to be fine. Just a bunch of tests going on, seeing uh, some issues she's having, and everything looks to be okay. But they needed to keep her another night, so that meant she couldn't record. So Kristen graciously agreed to fill in. Hi. And then honestly, I probably could have just had her say Tracy, and most people wouldn't have got it, or she thought that, she might that have a cold very true. or yes something.
0: A cold. <laughs> so I sound nasally.
3: <laughs> all right. So first of all, we want to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thank all of you, men, women, canine units, uh, attack sheep, whatever <laughs> they may use. Yes, thank you. In, in the military field. What were they had, those sleeping goats and stuff. Remember all the... Oh,
0: my God. Anyways,
3: thank all of you for what you do. And Thanks, we appreciate goats. it. And we love you so much.
0: Yes, we love you.
3: We also want to make sure that if you're listening out there, you're struggling, you're having some uh, problems with depression, you're just having bad days, sometimes those bad days run into bad weeks, that we want you to know that we love you and we are here for you. If you ever want to send us a message because you just need somebody to talk to, we're here. Yes. As well as the group. So if you... Decide that you would like to be a member of the group. There's 5,100 people in there right now all over the world. So no matter what time of day you would have an issue or would like to talk, they're there for you.
0: Yep. And we all love you.
3: Absolutely. If you would rather speak to someone more anonymous, there's the suicide hotline, 1-800-273-8255. And if you're more of a texter, 741-741. Gee. Yeah. Kristen, this episode is brought to you, and everybody else, by El Yucateco Hot Sauce. They yeah. are the number one habanero-based hot sauce in the United States. Top 10 out of all hot sauce. They are hashtag king of flavor.
0: And I will say, if I may add, that I used, what? do you remember what the flavor? The Chipotle. Oh my gosh. I um, used the Chipotle just the other day, and it was the bomb.
3: Yeah, we talked about that. With, uh, your mom talked about how she tried some of it. and mm-hmm. all It's that, very good. And if they don't have LUCATECO in your grocer, first of all, just grab somebody there, a manager, and say, what are you thinking? Second of all, go ahead and go to LUCATECO.com because they always have it there, oddly Mm -hmm. enough. No way. Yeah, oddly. And they have clothes there. You can get, like, T-shirts and hats and all kinds of little bottle openers, all kinds of stuff. Go there, put in the code HillbillyWhore, and they're going to give you 10% off just like that. That's nice. So, oh, com hashtag king of flavor. Holla. Kristen? Yeesh. We, we did some uh, lesser known haunting places from Col- Colonial Williamsburg last week. Mm-hmm. Some people would argue that all the hauntings are lesser known because there's a lot of people who don't even realize that Colonial Williamsburg is even a place if they're not from that area. I
0: was just about to say, where is Williamsburg?
3: It's in Virginia. Okay. And so you got Williamsburg, Virginia, which is the city, and mm-hmm. it's a very old city, obviously. And then you got Colonial Williamsburg, which is more or less a living museum where they've taken a section of the town and they've restored it all back to the seventeen eighteen 1800s. Oh, that
0: is so neat. And then everybody
3: walking around is an actor. <gasps> so you basically pay your money to go in and you walk around and everything. It's just like you just step back in town. So. Oh,
0: that is so cool. I want to do that.
3: Well, it's amazing to me how many hauntings are in this country. I mean, every country, for real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in this country, in every state, and every county, they have hauntings that a lot of people haven't heard of. Mm-hmm. So I thought I would try to dig up some lesser-known stories, which we do some lesser-known stories on a regular basis, but... There are stories that I can find a bunch of information on so we can make a complete show out of it. Yeah. These are going to be shorter stories. And and these are the kind of stories like we would do normally on like a Patreon episode almost every single day. because mm-hmm. We do little eight and ten minute segments.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: But these stories, they don't really have a lot of info out there. And I thought, well, I can maybe put three of them together. And get a pretty good show. So I I sifted through a bunch of these and tried to find some that I thought were really good and kind of stood out as opposed to some of the other ones. So,
0: Yeah, it just amazes me that after all these years and all these episodes, you can still find stuff to do a story on. It's just crazy to me.
3: Yeah, I don't think it's ever going to stop. But the big, big name ones out there or kind of get gobbled up really quick oh, in the yeah, first couple of years. Oh yeah, for sure. That's
0: but that's why I like how you find, like you said you find like the little ones that no one's you know heard of cuz I mean, we've never heard of them and they're usually pretty good.
3: Usually. Usually. So I the mean, there's times where apparently. I'm like, I'm eh. no, just kidding." <laughs> so the stories that we did last week kind of fall in that category, lesser-known stories.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And with that being said, I wanted to do a few of these stories on tonight's episode so after these stories we have the guys from the from the shadows podcast on
0: Ooh, that sounds crazy yeah it's a
3: really it's a really fun show and i think everybody's gonna like them and it was a it was a fun interview
0: mm-hmm.
3: all right so on with the first story it involves a beautiful greek revival antebellum mansion known as gainswood and this is in demopolis alabama Demopolis. You're talking about lesser known. I didn't didn't even know Demopolis was a city.
0: That's like an Italian city in a country
3: setting, setting,
0: (laughs) state, yeah.
3: It's been really well preserved by the Alabama Historic Commission, and it's decorated with its original furnishings that go all the way back to the 1860s. There's also a, a, a piano that was donated in there in 1979 that is from that same time period. I don't know if that piano was actually from this house originally or if it's just one that, that fits the
0: kind of thing. Furniture. Of it, or theme. Yeah. yeah.
3: Well, you're going to see it definitely is going to fit the theme
0: because
3: <laughs> it's going to play a part. So the city of Demopolis was founded in 1817 from political exiles from France. So they came over here after fleeing France when Napoleon took over for the second time. Mm-hmm. The settlers here were helped by General George Struther Gaines. He was a Choctaw Native American agent and subsequently became the very first Demopolis landowner. He built a small, modest cabin on his 480 acres that he owned in the county. Jesus, that's a lot
0: of mowing. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. God, I thought my yard was bad. I don't
3: think they did much mowing back there. I think they had, they pretty much they had that. like goats and the horses eat yeah. their grass. <laughs> in 1831, Gaines decided that he needed a change, so he moved to Mobile, Alabama. He still kept the ownership of the cabin and the land in Demopolis for another 12 years, though. That's when he sold the land to General Nathan Brian Whitfield for five cents. I don't think it was that cheap, but I didn't see the sale price. <laughs> General Whitfield was a grower of cotton in North Carolina, and started in 1843, he used a small army of skilled labor, ranging from slaves, craftsmen, and artisans, to build his beautiful structure that stands today. hmm The project would not be completed until 18 years after it was started in
0: 1861.
3: Dang. It's a big place. They didn't have, like, bobcats and stuff like that back then, so. <laughs> yeah. During the early years of construction in 1846, General Whitfield's wife, Betsy, became sick and passed away. This left their 12 children.
0: Jesus!
3: For the general to take care of all on his own.
0: God. You you know, you always wonder what they did back then, and you gotta know. They, just, they stayed busy.
3: They did stay busy. Lord have mercy. Knowing this was definitely more than he could handle on his own, he started searching for a governess. I think he went to care.com. I'm not sure though.
0: <laughs> Farmers only.
3: <laughs> the general interviewed several candidates, but one particularly stood out to him. A young lady by the name of Evelyn Carter. Once hired, the children became particularly fond of Evelyn Carter.
0: Hmm, that's nice.
3: She was not a replacement for Betsy, but the kids was happy with the fact that she brought some joy back to the Whitfield house. That's good. She would entertain the family nightly, with her masterful playing of the piano.
0: Mmm, the piano.
3: Other nights it would be the violin and sometimes the flute. But what the children enjoyed the most was her singing. When she sang, the house was filled with soaring melodies of her beautiful voice. Hmm. How about General Whitfield still preferred the flute? (laughs) These happy times, unfortunately would come to a crashing halt when Evelyn also became sick. What the heck? In her last days, Evelyn made the general promise to move her body to Virginia to be buried in the family's cemetery.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Whitfield promised but could not keep that promise. It was wintertime, and this made the roads very muddy and pretty much impassable for the wagons that they had. The railroad wouldn't be in Demopolis for at least another year, and the river was too treacherous to travel by.
0: Gosh, that's insane.
3: So he did the only thing that he could. He had Evelyn's body sealed up in a pine casket and stored away under the cellar steps until spring. Baby, Evelyn was obviously greatly missed. Each quiet evening was a painful reminder of the family's loss. So you can imagine the surprise when one night, the unmistakable sound of Evelyn singing started filling the entire house from underneath the cellar steps.
0: Shut up. Oh, my God.
3: The family rejoiced in hearing the songs that brightened their hearts and lifted their spirits. The family felt that Evelyn, unable to return home to Virginia, had chosen to do what she could to make the family happy from beyond the grave. Hmm. Her light footsteps could be heard around the piano, at which time the piano would start playing all on its own. When spring arrived, the general kept his promise and he moved her body to be alongside her family in the Virginia Cemetery. But the paranormal activity would continue. Even though her body was in another state, her spirit was active in Gaineswood. She continued to give concerts for the family. The children could hear the sound of her silk skirt brushing around the walls and the soft footsteps that they knew belonged to her. Even after the Whitfield family left, Evelyn stayed. In the 1970s, some restoration workers were finishing up late one night and they heard the sound of piano music. They went into the room that had the piano and they found no one sitting at the keys. To this day, on a quiet night, people claimed to hear Evelyn's voice Coming from beneath the Games Woods at cellar steps.
0: I hope it is the same piano. It would be cool. Yeah. That's so cool. Are
3: you, are you okay, Ninja? Yes. He
0: said, I, yeah.
3: <laughs> the next story. I really like this story for the history reason, but the paranormal part's cool too, but mainly because of the possibility of who may be haunting this place. Okay. So we're going to mosey on over from Alabama to Rhode Island and talk about the Sprague Mansion. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: Now, this story has a lot going on, mostly with the Sprague family, but we're going to start with the house itself. The original part of the house was built by William Sprague in 1790. Now, Sprague was a local businessman who operated a grist mill on the banks of the, and I think this is, Pocaset River Mm
0: -hmm.
3: in Cranston, Rhode Island. William wasn't really much on the whole luxury and wealth thing, as much as he was just being a really good provider and being a good family man. Mm-hmm. Though he was building wealth, it just wouldn't—that part wouldn't—the important part of just was a byproduct. Yeah. So it isn't surprising that the original house was very humble. In 1807, William replaced the gristmill with a cotton mill, and he named it Cranston Printworks. Now this would make the Sprague family one of the biggest in America, textile industry. Within two years, the mill was one of the country's biggest calico producers. What's that? Calico is similar to, think a coarse fabric kind of like burlap. Okay. Or like a potato sack uh-huh. would be made out of. Uh, it's pretty much an unbleached fabric. Not okay. a lot going on. So it's rough, but it was cheap and that made it pretty popular back in the day. Gotcha. This paved the way for chemical bleaching of fabric.
0: Oh. His, he
3: kinda, his family kind of started all that oh, stuff. Oh, wow. William died in 1836 after a failed surgical attempt to remove a fish bone that he had swallowed.
0: What? How about
3: putting that on your death certificate?
0: What in the world? What are the odds? I mean, you know, that's like on those like that show, A Thousand Ways to yeah. Die or something.
3: And see, I don't eat... Uh, a lot of fish. I'll eat, like, fillets, mm-hmm. but, like, I won't go eat, like, catfish and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And.
0: I can say I've never encountered a bone in any fish that I've ever had.
3: I've seen, like, my dad eat a bunch of fish, and there'd be a thousand little bones. Ew. Yeah, so it's like always, he's always pulling them out, and I'm like, I I would never even attempt Now to I'm going
0: to be very self-conscious of i my found fish. little
3: bones like it in, like, a can of tuna. Every once in a while, you'll find, like, a little bone. Because they're really thin.
0: Oh, my God. I've probably eaten like a million and never known.
3: You'll know if you ate one. (laughs) Gross. (laughs) So when he died, he left the business to his two sons, William Jr. and Amasa. Under the brothers, the business prospered and the Sprags became one of the most celebrated families in all of Rhode Island. Both brothers were also voted into state legislature, showing how popular they were. Now, William, though, was more the politician. He liked the shaking hands and the kissing babies and hobnobbing at all these events and stuff like that.
0: I'm sorry. I'm thinking of that movie with Will Ferrell and uh, Zach Galifianakis' election. Have you ever seen no. it? No. Oh Well, never mind. There's a part <laughs> where he goes to kiss the baby and he ends up punching the baby. It's just really funny. I'm sorry. When you said that, made me think of it. You got to watch it. Yeah,
3: one. I mean, it'd be a shame if you got stuff mixed up and you, you know, kissed a hand and shook a baby. That could oh be bad. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, but anyway, so... Amasa, though, he was more the type to just run the business. He liked to stay kind of out of the limelight. He just liked to just go in and get his work done and move on.
0: Yeah.
3: Tragedy, unfortunately, would be right around the corner. On December 31st, 1843, Amasa left on a business trip to Johnston. And, unfortunately, he would never make it to this business meeting. Why? His body was found in a patch of red snow. The next day, just a few miles from his home, he had been robbed and bludgeoned to death.
0: Ugh. That's sad.
3: The police immediately named a suspect, John Gordon, and had a hasty hasty trial, and Gordon was sentenced to death and hanged shortly after. This took a huge turn when evidence emerged that proved that John Gordon was completely innocent.
0: Oh my gosh
3: the identity of the man who actually did commit the murder was never disclosed this whole situation though did uh bring up bring about some big changes Mm -hmm. because the people of rhode island were really aggravated at how this took place and they basically forced legislature to amend its penal system and john gordon was the last convict to be executed in rhode island
0: Really? Yep.
3: After Amos's death, William took the reins of the family business, and it continued to flourish, actually reaching its peak in the mid-1860s. It became the largest calico producer in the entire world. Wow. This was an eventful time for William Jr. Not only was his business flourishing, but he became a decorated officer in the Civil War. At one point during the Battle of Bull. He had a horse shot out from underneath of him. What? Yep. He personally financed the Rhode Island regiments of the Union Army. And in 1863, he met a Washington socialite and fell in love and decided he wanted to get married. Her name was Kate Chase. She was actually the daughter of Salmon Chase, who at the time was Secretary of the Treasury of the United States. William would go on to marry Kate. His wedding gift to her was a tiara worth $50,000. So
0: that's like, that would be would, how much in this era? I mean, that
3: would be a ton. It's got to be closer to probably half a million dollars, I would think. God. Because that was 1860. hmm In 1864, he decided to expand his modest home that his father had built. He turned it into the sprawling Victorian mansion that people see today.
0: Wow. Yeah.
3: Unfortunately, a beautiful home does not guarantee a beautiful marriage. William and Kate were not the best fit for each other after all. Mm-hmm. They fought constantly, and by the 1870s, it things had reached a boiling point. William had started drinking excessively. He would resort to physical attacking during their arguments with Kate. Kate was also spending money like it was going out of style, and eventually, her spending habits would not be covered by the amount of money that was coming in. So, her lavish lifestyle eventually caught up.
0: That's sad because he had everything going for him and money. Just... Well, first
3: of all, don't give a $50,000 tiara to a wedding gift. Where's she going to wear that at?
0: Right. Not to the corner market right. to pick up some oats.
3: The two decided to divorce, and the Sprague Mansion was put up for sale. After the divorce, the once-powerful Sprague family fell into obscurity. But this is definitely not the end of the story. In fact, the Sprague family record is not only of interest to local history buffs, but to paranormal enthusiasts. Strange accounts begin emerging from the Sprague Mansion. Stories of moans drifting down the hall in the middle of the night. Cold spots that actually moved through the air in the musty wine cellars. Blankets yanked off of guests who were sleeping in the middle of the night in their Oof, beds. That's creepy. It seems that there is a spirit that is not at rest. But who? Given the dramatic history of the of the Sprague family, there could be several different suspects and there is no shortage of theories explaining the eerie happenings. We're gonna start with William Senior. Several people think that he's the one responsible for the paranormal activity because he basically saw the downfall of his business from Mm -hmm. outside the grave that he had built with his own hands. It's possible that William Sr. is unable to let go of the one material object that he feels like is his family's unalienable right, which is the house. right. There's also a group of people that think that his ghost was actually behind William Jr. and Kate's marriage problems. His constant presence was too much for the couple to deal with. I don't know where that came from or why people think that, but it came from somewhere. Mm -hmm. He may have said something about his dad's ghost. I don't know.
0: Mm
3: -hmm. Now you got another group of people that believe that Amasa's angry spirit may be the one that's haunting place. He was robbed and killed before he could enjoy the height of the family success, mm-hmm. so you could understand he how he may be a little bitter. A little bitter yeah. to say the least. Then there's another camp that feels like John Gordon, who was wrongly executed and think that he may be the spirit responsible for the haunting. But what about this? Maybe it's someone else who isn't a blood relative of the Sprague family. There was a seance held.
0: No, that's never good.
3: (laughs) It was held in the mansion to determine who the ghost is. Now, according to the seance, the ghost was not any of the Sprague family members Mm -hmm. or John Gordon. Mm -hmm. According to the medium, the spirit was a longtime servant He was one of the butlers of William Sprague, Sr.
0: That's random.
3: Well, they said that he was upset that he was not left anything in the will when William Sr. passed away after so many years of loyal service.
0: Seriously?
3: Gosh,
0: that's crazy.
3: But just before the medium could say his name, the Ouija board suddenly came to life and it started spelling out, my land. What? Over and over with incredible speed. So what just does started, that mean? I guess it was just saying my land should have been mine, so who knows. Many think that the seance did very little to resolve any question of who the spirit is, and some think that it could have been John Gordon or even one of the Spragues trying to deceive the medium.
0: Ugh, God. That's, ugh. That's so creepy.
3: Regardless, the home today, which is home to the Cranston Historical Society, is still very active. There are constant reports of footsteps, flickering lights, and cold spots. There's also sightings of an apparition. An apparition that appears as a human shape with a gray mist that appears like vines that kind of spiral around the shape.
0: That, that, I've never heard anything like that before. No, that one
3: was different. The apparition almost always appears mostly around the building's main staircase. It descends slowly until it dissipates into nothingness at the very bottom of the stairs. Ugh.
0: That's so, ugh, that's insane.
3: All right, last story. This last story was actually suggested by Travis Blancett. I hope I got that right. hmm He asked if we'd ever heard of the King's Tavern in Natchez, Mississippi. And I originally said that I hadn't. But then when I started kind of researching it a little bit, I had heard of it. I haven't done a, I don't think we've done a story on it. I don't believe, but I've definitely heard of it.
0: I've not heard of it.
3: Well, this story fits right here with everything else that we're talking about. Google says, though, that it is permanently closed, which I hope is not the case. Uh, But if that happened, it's happened within the last year because there were some Google reviews from a year ago. Hmm. The tavern was extremely popular. And the building that it's in is actually one of the oldest in Natchez, Mississippi. It was built in the late 1700s. It's been a tavern, a hotel, and it was the first post office in Natchez.
0: Well, that's cool.
3: As you would expect from a building over 225 years old, there's a lot of history. Probably the biggest and the most popular part of this history was unearthed, literally, in the 1930s. Mm -hmm. And that's when the skeletal remains of two men and one woman were found in the wall behind the fireplace.
0: Ooh, God, could you imagine finding that? That would be cool. And scary.
3: I literally want to go put fake skeletons just buried all over the place (laughs) so somebody decides to... (laughs) But that wasn't all. They also found a dagger that had been uh, bedazzled, apparently. Stop it. It it literally had, like, uh, jewels all over the handle.
0: Oh, my gosh.
3: The identity of the men were never solved. But it's thought that the female was a mistress of the tavern's original owner, Richard King. Her name was Madeline. And they actually even had a picture, like a painting, of of a woman that they said was Madeline inside the place
0: hmm.
3: Madeline disappeared shortly after Richard King's wife found out about their affair well I'd say <laughs> it's assumed that Miss King killed Madeline and hid her body behind the fireplace with this being said the employees of the tavern think that Madeline is behind the paranormal activity that happens at King's Tavern the upstairs part of the tavern used to be a hotel and this was the focal point of the paranormal activity there have been reports of reflections suddenly appearing in a mirror. There are also warm spots, which is odd because you never hear about warm spots. These warm spots are just a few inches over the bed. So if you'd like, put your hand right over top of the mattress mm-hmm. a couple of inches, you can feel the heat as if someone had just been lying on it.
0: That's weird.
3: Madeline is not the only spirit who is believed to haunt this tavern, though. Wally Harp. Who's a notorious outlaw is thought to haunt the tavern as well. But he shares his hauntings with one of his victims. Now, I don't know if there's any truth to the story at all. But if it is, then Wally Harp has made my list of one of the most disgusting people to ever live.
0: Hmm.
3: All right. So, Wally was staying at the inn, okay? Okay. And there was this mom. With a fussy infant also staying oh, there, no. and the baby wouldn't stop crying. Oh, no. While he grabbed the baby from the mother's arms and slammed it to the ground, <sighs> killing the baby instantly.
0: Oh, my God. F and a-hole.
3: As you would probably expect, many have heard the sound of a crying baby.
0: That makes me sick.
3: Who obviously hasn't learned its lesson. Oh!
0: <gasps> I'm
3: just, Polly. I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Please don't send bad reviews or send <laughs> That's man. it.
0: We're, you're definitely getting a one star.
3: <laughs> this crying seems to always come from the upstairs area when there's no one else upstairs. Now, as far as Wally Harp, why people think that he's still there, there have been several EVPs captured by paranormal investigators that they believe to be Wally Harp. I don't know why they think it is, but they do believe it. Anyways. That's our three little-known stories tonight.
0: That last one got me. That's tough. Ugh, freaking jerk. I hope it's not his ghost. Because I'm sure he would do mean things. We would think. You know? Who knows? Hmm. But those were good. I like those.
3: Thank you. All right, real quick before we bring the guys on, I'm not going to do a lot of uh, trying to uh, pimp out the shows and everything this week. All those live shows are still going and the crews Go to hillbillyhorrorstories.com for that. Okay, so on iTunes, we've got uh, four new reviews this week. The Evil Never Dies podcast, check that out. It's a good friend of ours, and then we've got Mojo Lobster. We can always count on Fire fifteen twenty three and Zelda's Twin. Thank you for your reviews. Keep those coming. It helps us more than you know. Now, as far as new Patreons, we had Mark, April Morgan, and Stacy Lucanon. I hope I said that right, Stacy. So thank you guys so much. So we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor, and then we'll be back with the guys from From the Shadows podcast. Hey, guys, I've got some special guests on here. I've got Shane Jason and the barrister for now, and we'll get into that a little bit later, from <laughs> from the From the Shadows podcast. And uh, these guys are really fun to listen to. So if you haven't listened to From the Shadows podcast, I'm going to tell you right from the beginning, go subscribe right now listen to a bunch of their episodes and then leave them a nice review and tell them that heavily horror stories told you to go listen to them. And in that way they'll see uh, how many of you guys are coming over, listening to the show. So let me start off. Obviously we're going to talk to, to Shane, uh, Shane, introduce the rest of your crew here, but also uh, let's, let's find out uh, about the barrister and why that name uh, has not always been the barrister. <laughs>
2: I don't know how deep we're going to go into that at this at
4: this moment. We'll skirt the subject. Well, I'm Shane Grove. I'm the host of the From the Shadows podcast, and uh, you know if you tune in, you'll hear that I'm always joined by my trusty super producer Jason. Absolutely, Great. Well, I was going to say you better do the tagline.
1: Oh yeah, it's a um, phone, it's a phone ring.
4: And then and then so because I know all of your listeners, they're going to rush over. And check out our entire catalog, all 200, almost 200 episodes now of regular shows and the uh, midweek howls. Yeah. You'll notice that a gentleman that, that is with us frequently, that goes by, he used to go by the name of the Judge, for for reasons that we cannot disclose entirely, we call him the barrister now. But for the sake of this show, we'll just call him the Judge. Judge, you want to introduce yourself?
2: Hey everybody, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> so,
4: so um that's us. I mean, that's basically us in a nutshell. We do have a couple people who uh are on the show and frequently that do some field investigation, you know, Alyssa and Jerry, you know, and yeah. we make fun of Jerry a lot of times very gratuitously because he's yep. not he's never here to defend himself. Yeah, if you're not here, you get made fun of. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. When the judge isn't here, we mean me and Jason make fun of him. Just
3: a little bit. So. The Guys, a lot of times the shows that we bring on, we bring on some bigger shows and we bring a lot of smaller shows, but you guys are actually one of the bigger shows. And I thought it was going to be fun to to get you guys on. You were nice enough to have me on your show and I wanted to return the favor and and I knew it was going to be something our listeners would enjoy. So tell me a little bit before we, cause I know you guys have some awesome stories to get into Tell me a little bit about how you three know each other and how your friendship ends up turning into a podcast.
4: Okay. Well, the judge and I have been friends since probably second grade.
2: Yeah, probably, probably Mm -hmm. second
4: grade. You know, so we went to school together, high school together, played high school basketball together, you know, and then we've kind of done our our adult things have, you know, got married, had kids, got, you know, one, you know, all kinds of cool stuff. And, uh, you know and and the funny thing is, is like the podcast started okay with um, when we were in high school, the judge had a cryptid experience. Um, and we'll just let the cat out of the bag, you know, because people can go back and check out that episode. Um, but he had an experience with a dog man, mm-hmm. okay? yeah. Uh, when we were in high school, uh, and he had this. I mean, I remember the night. The next night after he had this experience, um, he he was not comfortable enough to tell all us guys in high school that what he really saw. He told us about the experience, but he didn't tell us what he actually saw. And because back then in the mid 80s, mid 80s, I hate to say that, but man, that's a long time ago um, that um,
2: this topic area was not. Yeah. Was not an, There was socially accepted. Yeah, there
4: way. was. Yeah, there was no topic area for the dog man,
2: right. as far as we
4: knew. Right, because there was no internet. There's no reference. There's no, no reference to it. So, so basically, fast fast forward. You know, we you know it's something we love, just like everybody else. Ghost. You know, watching ghost hunters. Big. You know the bigfoot shows. And you know, we always read books and we talked about. You know, we're kind of creative people on the side from our regular mundane jobs, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and one day the judge calls me up and he's like, I I figured it out. Like, dude, what do you mean? You figured it, figured what out? I figured out what I saw. And and so I'm taken by surprise because I never knew he really saw anything because he never told us. Well, here he had been reading a Linda Gottfried book who, um, if people don't know, she's the godmother of Dogman. Right. Okay. And you know, was one of our guests, which yeah, helped, on the podcast. helped helped right. helped with the uh, our understanding of the subject. He's like, I saw I saw a dog man, and I'm like, what what the heck? So we so the judge actually
2: did a couple podcasts. Yep. into the fray, and what was the other one? Sasquatch Chronicles. Outside. Brendan Brendan Sawing, okay. uh, rest in peace. So the so the judge did a
4: couple, told his story in a couple podcasts, and. It kind of, you know, we kind of started talking. You know, we we love this stuff. How how do we how do we get into this podcast game? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, we knew nothing about. We're not very technical. technical oh, you know, we're no. not very technical. Okay. <laughs> um. So lo and behold, Jason, the super producer, and so I we really haven't known Jason a long time, but I will tell you, I met Jason on the set of a movie. That Jason and I are have interesting parts in I you know actually the premiere for the movie comes out it's July, it's July July 7th. Oh yeah, July yeah, 7th. Yeah. Okay. And um, I can't give away what Jason and I do in the movie but if you go watch the movie and don't know us personally you might hate us hate our guts by the end of the movie. Yeah, we're both bad guys. We're both bad guys. Okay. <laughs> if there's any question. So Jason used to help produce a small wrestling podcast. And the star of the movie is a good friend of both of ours. And he kind of said, hey, I know you guys are talking about doing a podcast. You ought to get Jason to come and, and, and do the technical. And
2: stuff. it turned out it was perfect because yeah. he knew all the tech stuff. He had the equipment. Yeah. He knew how to do everything that we didn't know how to do. We like sat around talking about it but he could actually do it. And he, he really enjoys the subject matter too. So it was a, it was a perfect situation. It's one of those synergy type things that just happened. So, yeah. So that's how
1: we all got our mutual friend, Chris Hahn. You remember he told me like many a times and then me and you, we couldn't get connected. (laughs) It was like seven or eight different phone calls playing phone tag and everything, but it worked out. So, 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 so so Grover
2: launched this thing and, and I come on as a recurring guest and, uh, and we have a good time with it. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yep. So, so that's about it. That's how we got. That's how we got started.
3: <laughs> I wouldn't mind hearing more about the dog man experience if you want to share it.
2: <laughs> no. Well, I, I yeah. So I was uh, I was in high school, like sophomore. I think maybe maybe going I into my junior I year. I think you were junior going into senior. It was one of these yeah. somewhere in that time frame, and I was training for a for a ten k road race. Uh, we have a, we have a festival in our hometown and I was training for that. And and I had to do a five mile run that day. And it had, we'd had a series of days, like a hundred degrees, three or four days in a row. And I had a guy that was coaching me and he said, yeah, you got to run five miles. I'm like, it's too hot. I don't want to go out there and run that. And he says, well, I'll give you your choice. You can run, get up before the sun comes up and run in the morning or run at night. I'm like, well, I'm not a morning person at all. I'll just run at night. So I lived out in the country but I was on a major uh, highway, well, two lane highway, State Route Four. If anybody knows Ohio State Route Four, runs all the way up to Lake Erie, so Cedar Point, those places. So you would run, you'd go right by my house. So it was about, yeah, it was probably nine forty five. I start out ten o'clock, start running. You know, just got dark, and I would, and basically, I leave my house go down probably about a hundred yards maybe and then take a right um, onto this little road called Temple Road and temple Road was two and a half miles down to uh, State Route 19 and then two and a half miles back there's my five miles piece of cake it was a lot cooler so I take off running and I get through the first two and a half miles pretty easy you know no big deal and to understand the lay of the land as I'm As I'm running down the State Route 19, there's cornfields on my right, bean fields on my left. And it's primarily the whole way at that time. There's almost no houses except maybe two, one on the left, one on the right. But it was all fields, farm country. So I get to the turnaround point and I'm coming back. And there's a little side road, which, which was the mile marker, which meant that I only had one mile left in my run. And it was a little road called Flickinger Road. And and to my left, then on the way back, which would be north, the north side of the road, there was a woods, small woods. And something like hit my like spider senses, like and I just got this weird feeling that something was watching me. And so I stopped and I stared at the woods like, is there something in there? And it was like, you know, you get goosebumps and things like that It was a real odd feeling. Now I'm a country kid. I'm not scared of the dark. Not you know, played hide and go seek in cornfields and dark barns. So I wasn't you know, didn't bother me being out at night. And as I'm staring at the woods, I don't see anything. But then across Flickinger Road, in the direction which I would have been going, which been east, was the corn. Now the corn at this time of year is about head high, and I see something's moving around in the corn. And it's big and it's, it's moving a lot of corn. And my first gut instinct was, well, it's deer because we have huge deer population. And then all of a sudden the corn just stopped like dead calm. I thought, well, that's strange because normally a deer would be spooked and it would just take off running and it didn't. So I stood there a little bit and I still had that weird feeling. You know what I mean? It's, it's this weird feeling like something was right. So I take off running and whatever was in the corn takes off running at the exact same time I do and maintain the exact same pace I did. It was pacing me, and I could look over to my left, and the corn, I mean, there's a lot of corn moving. Whatever is in the corn, it's big. So I come to a stop because I'm freaked out, and whatever's in the corn comes to a complete stop. Like, I, like it didn't run three four feet ahead of me and double back. It stopped immediately when I stopped. And that began to freak me out because I'm like, well, wait a minute. How would it know that I stopped? Because I can't see what's in there. So to make a long story short, I went through a you know a series of elimination like, okay, it's not a deer. Deer wouldn't do this. It's not a dog. It's too big to be a dog. It's not a person. No person wouldn't be out here besides me. And by the way, no person could run in a cornfield and keep up with me. Probably a lot of your listeners have been in cornfields. Try to run it during the daytime and see what happens. Let <laughs> we'll alone run at night. Then run at night. Yeah. And that corn would cut you to pieces by yep. So I didn't know what it was. And, and we don't have bears in this area, and we don't have wolves or anything like that. At best, we have coyotes, but we didn't even have a big coyote population back then. So now I'm a little freaked out. I'm a well to be honest, I'm a lot freaked out because I can't figure out what this is. So I start running again, and it starts running again. I pick up the pace. It picks up the pace. I slow down, and and I've this thing stalking me. So I knew there was a, you know, at one point, I took off really, really hard. I mean, really hard, as hard as I could run, and it just kept even pace with me, piece of cake. And that kind of blew all my adrenaline up. You know, like, you know, when you're scared, you get that fight or flight, you know, adrenaline rush. Well, when you blow all that adrenaline out, now you're now you you kind of go into this sort of hyperventilation mode where it's difficult to breathe. I'm scared. And I remember there's a, you know, another hundred yards, there was a farm, which would be on the right, an old farmhouse. And nobody was living in. But I remember there's a big tree out by the road. And I thought, OK. I'll just climb up that tree. And I'm a country kid. I'll climb up. If I have to stay in this tree all night, I'll stay in the tree all night, but at least I'll be high enough. I'll get a vantage point about what it is. So sure enough, I run to the farmhouse and somebody had dehorned the tree. They trim the damn thing (laughs) and all all the limbs were all the lower limbs are off. I'm like, well, gosh, dang it. I can't Tarzan this thing. So it, it, so at this point I'm a half mile away from route four and, and I'm like, okay, I got to make a decision here of what I'm going to do because I can't outrun this thing. Now, my buddy, one of our buddies live, so when I get to Route 4, for me to go home, I got to turn left, which, which means I would intersect right into it. I'd run right into it. My buddy, if when you get to Route 4, he if you turned right, you could go to his house. And I thought about trying to cut across, there was a bean field, like trying to angle it. But if you know anything about the way the beans were planted, there's no way you can cut across those rows of beans. And the other thing I thought of was, if this thing comes out, it's clearly faster than me. If at least I'm on asphalt, like this, you know, road, I can juke. You know, have you ever been like in gym class when you were a kid and you're playing tag? And even though there's a kid that's faster than you, you can always kind of wait just before he tags you and you kind of, you know, juke one way or the other. So, but I knew I couldn't do that in the bean field. Like I knew I couldn't be elusive in the bean field. So if I stayed at least on the concrete, not not having any idea what it was, at least I knew I could probably juke. So I decide that rather than turn left and go to my house where I'll run right into this thing, I'm going to wait till I get to route four. I'm going to turn right. My buddy's house is about 200 yards to the right, but I'd have to cross the road. I'm going to have to cross the road. Route four back then was really, really busy with traffic semis and things like that. So I knew I was going to have to time this up where I was going to have to get across the road, not get hit by a car, whatever this thing was was going to come out of the the, the corn. It was going to chase me. So, you know, at this point, I'm just scared out of my mind, but I'm still trying to, you're, you're still trying to, it's it's a weird thing. Um, and, and a lot of people said, well, if that were me, I would have, well, yeah, it's easy for you to play Monday morning quarterback. If it would, you know what I mean? But when you're really experiencing it and you're really scared and your adrenaline's pounding, your heart's pounding, you're having trouble breathing and you're just generally just scared to death. You, you try to think in a survival mode. You try to problem solve. Okay. So I said, okay, I'm going to time this up. I'm just going to jog this as easy as I can. And when I get to route four, I'm going to sprint across the highway. I'm going to sprint to my buddy's house and they, uh, and that was the plan. So, as I'm getting closer to route four, I start, you know, I'm, you know, like, you know, you start to pick up the pace a little bit. And and of course this thing is pacing me perfectly. As I speed up, it speeds up. So the corn did not run all the way up to route four. There was a, you know, there's a ditch and then there's probably about 20 feet or so of just kind of wildflowers and weeds and stuff like that. And then there's corn. So I knew that before I got to route four, if this thing you know, crested the the corn, I'd see it. And part of me said, look, I don't want to see it. I don't, I'm scared. I'll freeze up. I don't know what it is. I'm just going to, I'm just going to put my head down and get across route four and I'm just going to gun as fast as I could. So as I'm getting close to route four, I look to my right and I'm good. And I look to my left and there's a semi coming, but the semi is far enough back. I know I can get across route four. Okay. But it's, but it's headlights are beaming stuff like that. So, I I go to sprint and I can't help myself. I turn and I look. And what I saw come out of the corn, crest the corn, was about six feet tall. And the, 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 the best way I can describe it is it looked just like the Egyptian god Anubis. I mean, that's exactly what it looked like, except that, you know, the paintings of Anubis, he's, you know, standing straight up and holding a staff or something like that. But what I saw, its shoulders were rolled forward, like somebody who had really bad posture. You know you know how you describe somebody who had, had really bad posture? And the arms were real long. Um, the coat was real short, dark coat, you know, ears, classic ears, standing straight up like a Doberman's. Um, And it looked the best way I could describe it is it it looked like it was in an athletic position, like a linebacker that was, you know, behind the line, like it was crouched, like he was ready to do something. And I sprinted across. And in my mind, I imagined that this thing dropped to all fours and was chasing me. And so I'm sprinting, I'm sprinting in my buddy's house. They had a swimming pool, an in-ground swimming pool, and they had a fence around a chain link fence And sometimes the gate was open and sometimes it was closed. And I was praying to God that that gate was open because I knew if I had to stop and lift the latch of that fence, if this thing was behind me, it had me. So as I'm getting closer, I look and I see the gates closed, the latches closed. I'm like, oh, God dang it. What am I going to do? So I say, you know what? I'm jumping the fence. I'm just jumping it. So I as I get there, I jump up and I try to look kind of like the old Fallsbury flop. I throw my legs up in the air, I put my hand on the fence, it had that scallop to it, cut me right across my side. And when I land, instinctively I thought, I'm just jumping in the pool. So I dive into the swimming pool head first and I blow all my air out. I'm sliding down because his pool is 10 feet deep, if you remember. Oh, yeah. So I'm sliding down <clears throat> into the deep end on my on my chest, on my belly. Blowing all my air out. When I get to the bottom, I plug my nose and I sit on the bottom of the pool and I look up, fully expecting to see this thing sitting on the side of the pool waiting for me to surface. Well, it didn't. And, and what seemed like forever, I'm sure it was not very long, because I'm sure I couldn't hold my breath that long. But I swam to the top, it wasn't there. I jump out of the pool and I run. And I grabbed the door, because nobody locked their doors back then. You know? Strange thing. I grabbed the sliding glass door, and I ripped that door open as hard as I can, and I bust through the curtains. And my buddy's sitting there watching um, the, uh, the Playboy channel. <laughs> Because back, back then in the 80s, he was one of the first people, his parents bought one of those gigantic dishes that looked like from the movie Contact. Like you could talk to Mars. Like right. you could talk to Mars. I mean, they, they had this huge satellite dish. I was like, oh, it was G6, right? Yeah, it was G6. G6. So he thought it was his parents had came home and was looking through the window and saw him watching the Playboy channel. And I scared the hell out of him. And uh, he screamed, I screamed. And, you know, I'm looking out the windows and stuff like that. And, and you know, it, it, it didn't follow me, apparently. But for years, so the very next night we were playing cards and I told the guys the story. And something told me, look, I'm not going to tell them what I saw. I told the whole story, but I didn't tell them what I saw because I was scared of being made fun of. I was scared of being ridiculed. And we, and we were like there
4: was a couple guys and I'm not going to call them out. You know because Mike McGuire doesn't want me to call him out like that, yeah. but he's sitting there like, oh, you know, whatever, you just saw a deal. Like, we were making fun of him from the not even knowing what he saw, right? Okay, and, and I gotta be honest with you, um, that uh, all these years later, when I when we found out like what it was he really saw, because we're I was not real happy with him because we were like a mile down the road at our buddy's house playing poker in the garage. Okay. So, so he knows there's this big. Dog looking thing. <laughs> to get, and he's just letting us out. You know, I wondered why he didn't sit closest to the opening of the garage, yeah. <laughs> but, but that was kind of one of the first things like, dude, so
2: you just let us be prey out there. Like, you know, this thing's running around. But you know, the but, thing is, I, I never thought werewolf. To be honest with you, because Hollywood, you know, Hollywood, the the werewolf was Lon Chaney Jr. Wearing a pair of jeans and a tattered flannel shirt with a with a flat face like a human. You know what I mean? I'd never the, the only frame of reference I could even describe this thing was the Egyptian god Anubis, the way it looked. And so for years and years, I wondered, researched. You know, at first I thought it was kind of like, you know, black dogs, the hounds of Baskerville, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Devil dogs and stuff like that. But it didn't fit because this thing was standing up on two legs. Yeah. And then lo and behold, I hear this story of this thing called the Beast of Bray Road. And Linda Godfrey was talking about it. And I look it up and it's the exact same thing, except my experience predates the Beast of Bray Road by like eight years.
4: Well, the, and the crazy thing is, is, is we've had guests, we had at least one guest on. Whose own dog meat experience in Southern Ohio predates your experience? Predates like, mine. Yeah, fifteen years, and it's yep. scarier That's than true. mine. It's way scarier. scarier than mine. It's way scarier. I mean, it's way scary. So, you know, and that kind of, you know, that was the whole genesis of right. once once he figured it out, and we talked about it, and. His stance was, you know, he went on a couple shows and from the and, to, and I think Shannon LeGroux was the one that sent you a couple emails from listeners of her show yeah. who reached out and said, Man, I know exactly like the one one person that emailed Shannon about the
2: story live the next mile over. Right. Okay. In the same time frame, Right. And he had some weird experiences that probably was the same, yeah. the same, the same dog man creeping around. Yeah. And so then, and so what we came to discover, and
4: this was the beauty of, this is the beauty of the podcast. Okay? Right. Yeah. Is, yeah. is talking to Linda Goffrey, you know, and she kind of gave us her, uh, what her idea from all the investigation she's done of what, she thinks the dog she man is. The dog man is. And it's tied into like Indian burial grounds. Yeah. And it's a more spiritual type creature that right. appears to us as flesh and blood. Mm-hmm. So on a on a whim, the judge looks up. Indian, Indian burial, burial miles, grounds in our area. Yeah. Yeah. And what we found, now keep in mind, this is an area we, li- we lived in and still live in to this day. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. There are two Indian burial mounds in the fields right along the one road where, and then one in between the road and the road that the listener who sent an email into Shannon little So there's two Indian burial right. grounds
2: within a couple hundred yards of where I first, that we never knew. Been, we yeah, no. first would encounter the dogman that we so, never knew about. Them. Yeah. So what Linda Godfrey did was she, she took all these dogman sightings from all over Wisconsin and Michigan and places and then she, she lined those up with, with you know, Indian burial grounds and they matched up perfectly. Mm-hmm. And so her theory, and I think our theory is too, is that, that what we're seeing is these are, these are some sort of being that is, can be both flesh and blood and spiritual at the guardians same time, or guardians of burial grounds. But yeah. it was a, it was a terrifying experience, but, but the thing about it was, it was that conversation with Grover that, that led to the genesis of the podcast because he he and I thought, you know, what a great opportunity to have people like myself who were too scared to come forward and tell encounters, whether it be Bigfoot or Dogman or ghosts or spirits or mm-hmm. or anything like that. It gives them a platform in which we're non-judgmental and you can come on and tell us your story and nobody's going to say, oh, yeah, you're making up. You're crazy. You imagined it. This is you know, this is a this is a judgment free zone. And, and we have been shocked at how many people we've encouraged to come forward and tell their stories that would have never told their yeah. story. Well, the one lady had a man experience that she kept to herself for over 50 years. And she had And she had the experience with three other
4: people mm-hmm. as a teenager. Yeah, three other eyewitnesses. And before she contacted me, she reached out to the one guy who I believe she still could. And the guy denied it ever happened. He goes, I I don't know what you're talking. He wouldn't even admit. He wouldn't even admit that. So what are you supposed to do when somebody you know is with you
2: and they won't even? Yeah, they 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 deny you. So that was that was kind of how we got started. Was was me coming forward and and telling him what what I had experienced thirty some years ago.
1: And that has spurred a lot of people to come on our podcast and tell their story. And then they're like, it's a relief that I finally get to speak this yeah. and to get this off of my chest because family members, close right. friends, nobody wanted them to do it. Right. And they they were so happy that they can come and, and speak on our show well, and, or, or talk about it in a forum.
2: And you know, the thing is we're big avid watchers of the Traveler Channel, all the different shows, and, mm-hmm. and we're shocked at how many people will tell a story on like uh monsters of mystery, tear in the woods. And they say, well, I never told anybody. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, I understand why. Yeah. And I mean, if, if I had never been in that situation, I'd be like, oh, come on. If you saw a big foot in the woods <laughs> and it scares you, you'd go back and tell everybody. No, you wouldn't. Who do you tell? Who do you tell? <laughs> and unless they're, unless they're like-minded and unless there's like-minded individuals. And back when I was a kid, there was no internet. There was no well, way you could. Well,
4: Jerry, I'll tell you this. We Jason and I just interviewed the naturalist from Salt Fork State Park. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So he said there was a recent, and I'll give this part away because the show hasn't aired yet, but we'll give this part away that there was a Freedom of Information Act mm-hmm. for the park that they wanted, you know, whoever this person was, wanted every report that they had collected from people who were Bigfoot eyewitnesses. Mm-hmm. Any report. Guess how many? Guess how many reports there were um, for them to turn over to, in this, for this Freedom of Information Act. Anybody got to go?
3: Probably hundreds. You'll find out this interesting bit of information right after our last sponsor break of the evening. Hey guys, I want to take a quick second to thank one of our favorite sponsors and one of our biggest supporters here at Hillbilly Horror Stories, and that would be Fume. Fume's the natural inhaler that makes it easy to get the benefits of super plants on the go. Here's how simple it is. Fume is a Canadian-made wooden inhaler, no electronics, and the cores are filled only with the benefits of super plants, no chemicals added. Fume is a natural and portable tool for allergy relief, relaxation, and a great nicotine replacement tool with its pockets fit. Simply slide in your favorite cores into the fume and breathe in the benefits of Mother Nature. It's that simple. Check out the variety of blends and their benefits at www.breathefume.com. And use code HILBELIE for 10% off your order today. I will say this, I love the peppermint. It is strong, it opens you completely up, and if you're starting to feel a little bit weary or like you're a little bit tired, trust me, he will be right back to your senses as soon as you breathe in just a little bit from that fume inhaler. But remember, there's all kinds of other cores that you can get to go in here as well. Obviously, you've got their top seller, which is Conquer, which will help you kick the nicotine cravings. Then you've got the Lemonberry Bliss. That one's for allergy symptom relief. That's another one I'm going to order and try to use on myself because I have some bad problems with allergies. They got the Bubbly Lime. That's for energy and mood boosting. Tracy's not here, so I can say she can use that. And then the Reassurance. That's for calming, stress relief, anti-inflammatory benefits. That's one that will probably help you get some sleep at night if you're having a, a restful tossing and turning kind of night. So, head to www.breathefume.com, that's breathe, B-R-E-A-T-H-E, fume, F-U-M, dot com, and use code Hillbilly to save 10% and breathe in the benefits of the world's super plants today.
4: Zero. Not a single person who had reported their sighting to the BFRO or had told him about their Felt comfortable enough
2: putting their name on putting, a piece of government paper, yeah. knowing that somebody could pull it. They had no
4: reports at Salt Fork, which is where the Bigfoot conference is, mm-hmm. where they yeah. do Bigfoot. I mean, I just saw that somebody reported a Bigfoot incident like a week ago there, mm-hmm. and but it, they didn't report it to the park, they reported it to the right. BFRO because that's who they feel comfortable, right? Turn it, you know reporting that stuff to they don't feel like if you go to somebody in a position of power like a park ranger, police officer, sheriff's deputy, how, unless that unless you're talking to somebody who had not who's had an experience themselves, uh-huh. they're going to kind of laugh you off. Skeptical be, laugh like, you like, off. What drugs you taking, yeah. you know? And that was the I mean, and let's all remember, that was the approach where anybody came forward and said they had a UFO sighting. Oh yeah. And now look, and now
2: look. Yeah. So, right. yeah, so the thing, you know, like Linda Godfrey's book talked about she had she had found there had been over 2500 reported dogman sightings. And I'm like, "Well, my name's not one of those." So, how many actual dogman sightings that never went reported are there out there? Probably thousands. Oh, tons, yeah. So that, that that's kind of how we got our th- our our show started, and uh, and we talk about all kinds of things. We talk about cryptids, we talk about ghosts, the paranormal, ufology. But mm-hmm. um, Here, here's the thing, though,
1: I love all of those cryptids, and I love the UFO stuff, and but yet I was the one in this trio that never had
2: an experience up until I went on an investigation yeah. last year. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He had never had an experience, and then he had a pretty. Experience. Oh, it was. Uh,
1: yeah, it was pretty intense. I'll say that much. Were well, you just going to yeah. leave us in the dark, or are you going to tell us about it? Yeah, oh, yeah. You're going to go and listen. I mean, yeah. Actually, yeah well, yeah. Actually, I, I did speak about that in an episode once too. Yeah. But what had happened was we had uh, we like uh, the judge had mentioned the barrister had mentioned that we have two other people in our group on the investigative and Alisa uh, and both Jerry. Yeah. And uh, not not your host here, Jerry, but uh, our, our Jerry, Jerry uh, <laughs> the Ghost hunters, we like yeah. to call him. But uh, anyway, uh, Jerry uh, wanted me to go along with him on an investigation in um, uh, Cynthia, Kentucky, to a place called the Rose Opera House. Yep, very yeah, very popular place to be investigated. Yeah, known to be very very haunted too. And uh so I went and um I was new to this. I was like I never had any experiences, so I did not I had to get a rundown on the equipment that we were going to use and everything. And I just used some of my expertise setting up for the cameras and stuff. But when it came down to the actual ghost hunting, I never did it before. So I had the opportunity that night. And so I'm walking around with a with a uh, with a, uh what do you call those meters that uh TMF. Yeah, the BM, EMF meter, meter and um, had another piece of equipment that Jerry, he entrusted me with since I was new. He, he says, I want you to be of experience up more than anybody because i never had any experience at all. And we did this with another group called the Ohio Paranormal Society. And so it was a bunch of us here. And so we quartered off the building and then we had different sections. There's an old part of this building that is actually built in 1865. And then there was a modern part that was built and added onto this. But that original stage from when they used it as a true opera house uh, of 1865 is still there. And uh, that is the part of the building that um, I started having experiences. First of all, I was recording the stairway, which was a vestibule area that went from the new part of the building to the old part of the building. So I'm taking pictures. And uh, later on, when we start going through the material, some of the pictures I took were cloudy. It was like somebody had set up a fog machine in this vestibule-like area, which Air and everything was completely clear at the time that I um, was taking these pictures. I'm looking through the viewfinder and looking through the digital equipment and looking at the screen, just like you would a phone screen or any other digital camera. I'm not seeing anything. Uh, But when we reviewed this footage later, that was the first indication. So we use that and say, okay, this is where the activity is happening. So we went back and concentrated at about, uh, well between the hours of uh, 1 a.m. Eastern time, and I'd say five, now maybe about four o'clock. We focused our group in that part of the building. And that's when things really got interesting. Through the course of the night, I have had the opportunity to experience disembodied voices That didn't sound like somebody down the hall. It didn't sound like somebody turning on no tape recorder. It sounded like a person standing right beside us and a voice emanating out of nowhere where a person should be. Right in the room with us, talking just as loud as what we were talking, asking this thing. We don't know what that was. And I thought that was fantastic. Mm -hmm. I couldn't explain
2: that. The best part of the story, though.
1: Oh, gosh. Then the best part of the story was when we went, uh, we were right down in front of where the stage was in the old opera house part of the building. And um, my EMF reader just starts going off like crazy in the area that I had been going going back and forth in that area like for at least the past hour and a half and nothing was happening. Then all of a sudden this strong emanation, this thing is like hitting like 25 on the, the meter and it's just coming up to me until it just, it was just completely lightened up. It wasn't even uh beep, 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 no more. It was just a steady beep. And then all of a sudden I'm, I sit down on the aisle seat of this particular theater in the uh, second second row back, right to the aisle, right on the aisle there. And then I'm telling people, I said my meter's going off, and I said I've sat here earlier, nothing was happening. And then so everybody starts per- focusing their equipment towards me, and they had the uh, the infrared cameras and everything set up. And it was so funny because it felt like somebody touched me on the shoulder. And they touched me on the leg, like as if like uh in the old when they used to have the ushers going up and down the aisle. So you had a phone call or something, somebody wanted to get your attention without panicking anybody. They might touch your shoulder, they might touch your arm or something like that, or your or your knee, and say you got a phone call, like they were trying to get you to usher you out. And that is the way I can buy by where I felt where I was touched, that's what it. Seems like it would be. If I was able to see something, that seems like to be the the physical manifestation where it would have looked like. That's the only way I was able to interpret it. But the, here is the thing. Is, the ghost usher got you. I'm thinking, well, they, they said that there, there has been a person that looks like an usher that has been seen by other people in that particular area.
2: Now, now here's before. the historical reference that, that that I thought was pretty cool
0: mm-hmm.
2: was that, Back in pre-civil rights era, Mm -hmm. African-Americans, black people had Mm -hmm. to sit in the um, uh, the mezzanine area, right? Yeah, they still
1: had it up there. It still had the original... Uh, uh, seats and everything in there It was covered with about two or three inches of dust. The ceiling was uh, was caving in, right? And they said that they got it blocked off because they're going to
2: restore that area. But I think that was the that that was designated for colored people. It was. That's exactly That's what so, it was. For. So then Jason is sitting down front row, basically. Yeah, right. In a place I mean, where like I could have been, been told to move. Yeah. it like never would have
1: happened in the past.
2: Well, that's why. So, what we thought was interesting was that maybe the ghost was the ghost was saying, "Hey, you know, look, man, you're you're supposed to be sitting up in the the mezzanine. (laughs) It's a possible, it's a possibility. Well, but here's the thing:
1: the weirdest thing is, is there was a touch. It wasn't like your hand on you. It was like a vibration. It was literally like a vibration. It was like I was out of sync. Which
4: goes into the discussion of. The energy, yeah, exactly, energy, energy, exactly. And,
1: and uh, I just—it was after this thing was over with, and when this thing left, and I didn't feel it anymore, I got sick. I—I I mean, I got like really Is that before sick. Before or after stomach.
4: you texted me as like a giddy schoolgirl
2: going,
1: "I got a touch." Well, that—that that t- was after. <laughs> that
2: was after. Because so it's like, almost was, like the energy from whatever touched you basically caused you to get sick. Like the, that's like what your, that's what
1: Mark told me,
2: yeah. uh who is, has had you know many paranormal experiences. Yeah.
1: He's the uh, leader of that uh Ohio Paranormal Society yeah. that went with us that night. And he says, But you had was an experience probably that we got people on our crew that never had. So and once so,
4: again, careful what you wish for.
1: Oh, yeah, but <laughs> it was it was fascinating <laughs> though. I mean, uh I, I left out a lot, but uh, there was uh, a lot They'll of interesting things that have. Yeah, episode, to yeah listen detail. to the episode. There's a lot more detail, and we go into everything that had transpired that night and other things that when we did our preliminary digestation of the. Uh, of the uh, the all the information that we were getting that night, and uh, some of the things that Mark had called me about afterwards that he picked up on his equipment when that was going on, and uh,
2: it was just pretty fascinating. Good stuff. I got time for one more story if you want to hear it.
3: I like how you have time on my show, okay?
2: Ah! Okay, well, no, I didn't, I,
0: didn't want, I didn't want to run over,
2: I didn't want to run over, man. I didn't want to run you over. I know you hey, nobody asked me if I had time, oh, you so. I uh well he didn't answer for you. Oh that's true. if you want to <laughs> cut me off and, and, and move on to the next uh, show you can No, do I,
3: I I knew you had a story, so I was gonna get ready to circle back around to you.
2: So so you know, I, I think this story might resonate more with your listeners who uh who are really probably in more paranormal than cryptid. Yeah. The Chupacabra story. Yeah, that's no, the Chupacabra no. Chupa- story. Yeah. Stop. The- no, so I had I had built this I had built this new house out in the country. And it was, you know, was in a field, built a house, brand new construction. And my youngest daughter was about two and a half, almost three years old. And we had a bedtime ritual where I always read her a story, rocked her, whatever, and I put her, put her in her bed. And one night, I put her in the bed. I go back into my bedroom. We still had a baby monitor. It was a two-story house. And I hear her fiddling around, talking, starting to get irritated, kind of crying. I thought, what the heck is going on? So I go in and she says, go, like, what's going on? And she says, this little boy's bothering me and won't let me sleep. And I'm like, and I'm thinking, was she talking about like preschool little boy? or Because I don't think she, she wasn't even in preschool yet. And I was like, what do you mean? And she tells me that there's this little boy, blonde hair, blue bib overhauls in her room that is bugging her and won't let her go to sleep. Well, I thought she was just stalling and she was just making stuff up because she didn't want to go to sleep yet. So I play along and, you know, cause, and I ask what he looked like. And then I ask what his name was. And she gave me this weird look and she says, He says his name is Wind. And I thought that was really weird because if she was just making up like something, you know, Jimmy, Bobby, Joey, whatever, Mikey, no, Wind. And I said, well, at that point, it kind of creeped me out. I said, well, what does he want? And she goes, he wants me to go outside and play with him. Now, mind you, it's January and it's 30 degrees outside. And I go, well, you know better than to go outside. No, dad, I wouldn't go outside. I'm not going to go outside. We had a home security system on the house. So that night I made sure that, you know, home security system. It's just, it was really weird. And it took like an hour for me to get her calmed down. So the next night, same thing. The next night, same thing. And this goes on for a week. Every night, wind shows up and keeps, you know, messing with her, wanting her to go outside and play in the winter. And I'm like, this is really weird. So now I'm, you know, I don't believe she's making this up now. So I actually went to the pastor of our church and asked him, hey, look. And he kind of gives me lip service, like, you know, we you know kids have imaginary friends. I'm like, look, Chief, <laughs> this isn't some imaginary friend. She's distressed. Like, she's distressed. And so, You know, uh, her mom at the time kept telling her, well, you know, pray, you know, pray to Jesus that he won't bother you. And and we'd sit there and and I could listen to her through the baby monitor in there praying, you know, you know, don't, you know, please, Jesus, don't let this thing bother me. And and it kept going on. And I got to be honest with you. At this point, I'm getting really scared because there's nothing that I can do to stop this thing from bothering my kid. So finally, I told, I, I told, you know, I told my wife at the time. I said, "Take her and go to Finley, and stay with your parents for the weekend. Get her, get her some rest. I'll stay here. I'll kind of try to figure out what's going on." So they went to Finley, and that night I get a phone call. Wind's here. It followed her. So now I'm really freaked out because now it's not like something that's a ghost in the house. Like this thing is following her and it's the same stuff. So I'm trying to do research. I can't find any answers. And this thing is, is driving, driving us nuts. And I got to be honest with you. I just feel, I literally feel helpless. I mean, I feel like this is way scarier than my dog man encounter, like way scarier. Because this thing's screwing with my kid, and there's nothing I can do. And I go talk to the pastor of my church, and he don't take me serious. So, I mean, I'm struggling. And, and, and every night, and she and she didn't want to go to bed because she knew wind was going to show up. And so, finally, one night, I get in her bed, and my bedroom and her bedroom are kind of adjacent. And there's a bathroom. There's actually a bathroom that separated our doorways. And as I'm about to walk into um, my bedroom, I see out of the corner of my eye, a little boy in blue bibs and blonde hair walk into my daughter's bedroom. Oh, wow. And I'll tell you what I did. I froze. I just froze. I didn't walk forward. I didn't walk backwards. I didn't run into a room. The shock of seeing it. And I know this sounds funny because, well, you know, if he saw a dog, man, why would he be scared? It's different. It's different. You know what I mean? Because I couldn't tell you what the dog man was. I couldn't tell you what it was. You know what I mean? And and i just ran. But this is my kid. This is my, this is my child. And I just froze and I just stood there. And so wind walks into a room and I hear her talking and she would argue with this thing every night. You could hear her arguing with it. Like I'm not going outside. I'm just a little girl. I don't want to do this. Leave me alone. Like it was, like it was heartbreaking to hear her engage with this thing. So she gets into it with this thing in a wind, and then I hear this this language coming through the baby because I'm listening to this through the baby monitor because I can't see her bed from where I'm standing in my doorway, and it is the strangest language I've ever heard. I mean, there's nothing I can't I couldn't imitate. Now I can't speak Russian or Chinese or you know German but if i heard someone talking in that dialect i could say boy that sounds like german or that sounds like spanish or that sounds like russian you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. this dialect was the weirdest thing i've ever heard i mean the weirdest thing i've ever heard and i thought oh my god this thing is talking to my daughter in this language right And then when I listened closer, I realized it was my daughter's voice. And it just blows me away. My daughter's talking in this language that I had never heard before. This is is under, I can't even identify it. And then all of a sudden I hear her say in English, she says, okay. And then there's this pause. And then she says again, okay. It was like they had reached an accord, an agreement. You know what I'm saying? Like the way she said, "Okay," and then pause and said, "Okay," like, "Okay, are you this?" And so that kind of brought me out of this sort of frozen stance that I was in. And I run in and I said, "You know what's going on?" And the first thing my daughter says is that wind is gone and he's not going to bother me anymore. And she had no recollection of talking in a different language. No idea. And I was just like, this is just the craziest thing I've ever heard. Like it was the craziest thing I've ever heard. So fast forward about six months, maybe, and went to Chinese buffet with members from our church. And there was a bunch of families, a bunch of kids. Well, all the adults were sitting at one side. They pushed all these tables together, okay? So there's probably 15, 20 people dining together. But I always sit down with the kids because I want to make sure, you know, they behave themselves and whatever. So I'm sitting across from my daughter. She's in a booster chair, and I'm sitting right across from her, and we're at the very end of the table. And there's other little kids around her, and they're all interacting, being silly, messing with the crayons and stuff like that. And all of a sudden, my daughter's head just jerks to the side, like she sees something. And she says out loud, I'm trying to remember exactly how she said, she says, Wind, what are you doing here? And I'm like, oh, my God, it's back. I was like, oh, my God, it's back. And then I I said, did you just see Wind? And she says, yeah, but he's not going to bother me. And, and that was it. She she never saw it again. So it was probably maybe a year after that, I was sitting in my office, and an article came up on Yahoo or whatever, you know, how articles mm-hmm. pop up. And the story was about this three-year-old kid up in Toronto that was living in this high-rise apartment complex. And in the middle of the night, the kid gets out of bed in his pajamas, goes out the front door, rides the elevator all the way down the first floor, w- walks Outside a couple blocks, a couple blocks away to some park and freezes to death underneath a tree. Jeez. And they have the kid on video going into the elevator, riding the elevator, going out front because they had security cameras. And the first thing that went through my mind was, Oh my god, it's wind. That that or if it wasn't wind, that's something like wind, and that's what it wanted to do to my daughter. It wanted to lure her outside in the middle of winter, walk her away somewhere. And so I've told this story, this wind story to a lot of young parents. And I tell them this is a cautionary tale that if your kid says that they're seeing something, don't assume they're making this up. And don't assume this is some imaginary friend, quote unquote friend, because that is what I think this what she called wind was not a little boy. I think it presented to her as a little boy. But this thing has creeped around for Hundreds of years, thousands of years, and it lures little kids out to their doom. This
4: the scariest part of that story is is that that Chinese buffet that you ate at was at least closed down three times because for the of health approach. department. Yeah. So to me, that's,
2: <laughs> to me, that's the, <laughs> the fact. I survived that. <laughs> no no, no kidding.
4: But, but you I mean, know, all joking aside, though, you know. I've heard you. You know, I remember going through this because we yeah. have kids that are the same age, and yeah. I remember you going through this story, and and it's it was terrifying at the time because there's no answer, and you do feel extremely helpless when it's your
2: child. Oh, helpless you know? is just is is an understatement, and and all day long it, it's a specter hanging over because you know that night that you're going to have the go dog man. This room. Give me the dog man. Any I'll day. take the dog man yeah. any day. Take the, now. Here's the weird twist to it and I don't know if it's really a twist. I shouldn't say it's a twist at all. Years later I'm watching this movie, was it called The Fourth Kind? Yep. The alien abduction story. And they had a recording of some language. And I remember seeing that going, oh my God, that sounds like what my daughter daughter was saying to wind. And it turned out in that movie that that was Sumerian. which is a dead language which nobody speaks so yeah it's uh so that's a that is a, a terrifying tale that i wish upon no one
3: that's a fascinating story for real and i've always said that i don't think when when kids have imaginary friends i think more times than not it is a situation to where it's a spirit or something of that nature
4: yeah. yeah. I think we, I think, yep. I think the more um, stories we've heard and, and people we've talked to and, and research, I mean, it certainly seems like that would be the first thing you should.
2: Yeah. Consider. I, yeah, I don't, I mean, I think, you know, don't discount what your kids tell you, mm-hmm. you know, don't discount what your kids tell you. It's, it's, and if there's any parents out there, you can, that want to ask me any questions about this you know, email us at from the shadows podcast at Gmail. I'd, I'd love to talk to you if you're having a similar experience or you have some questions or, or or help me understand what it was we were dealing with. If you've had the same experience. If you had the same experience. And I've had some people that's reached out to me and and they have their, you know, they have their suggestions about what I was dealing with and stuff like that. But man, I'm telling you that that is something I wish upon no one. You know, there's a lot of people, man, I wish I could have seen that dog, man, or I wish I would have a ghost experience like Jason over here, but this. Or the big, or Bigfoot. Bigfoot, but this, this is not something you want to experience under no circumstances.
3: I find it ironic that a judge who hosts a podcast said earlier that this is a judge-free zone.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I I only judge people professionally, not not personally.
4: And And the great thing is, is that. So like I said, we live in the town we grew up in. Right. Okay. Other than Jason. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. But um, and we and we've got no pushback from anybody. No. Nobody's no. said, but I mean, I think people know we're not crazy for yeah. the most part. You know, no, I mean, I think they know we're, you know, we're very genuine in what in our yeah. approach and what we're doing. Yep. And I mean, he's got no pushback from the community as to how could you be a a judge
2: and... And talk lot about, about this stuff. Yeah. You know. But you know, the reason why I think that is, I think probably 75 to 85% of the people out there have had a, oh, yeah. an, an experience in their life that they couldn't explain. And they're not judgmental of other people anymore mm-hmm. because they've had personal experiences that we, they've never told anybody, but they wish they could tell people. Because of podcasts like Hillbilly
4: <clears throat> Horror Stories yeah. and yeah. Us and all the other ones that get... To get those stories out there and, yep. um, you know, kind of like it, it makes it a little lot more mainstream. Yeah, That's the
2: mainstream.
1: It's giving people a platform to be able to express themselves. Yeah,
2: I would I would love to know a poll. I'd love to see a poll of how many people out there have had a, a paranormal experience or a cryptic experience or a UFO experience that they couldn't explain and they never told anybody. Oh, yeah.
3: Well, I, I can tell you this. I saw a poll about two years ago that said only 35% of the United States believes in ghosts.
2: Oh, they're liars.
3: That's that's I'm what gonna I, I would have thought. I
2: know they're li- I'm going to tell you how I know they're lying. Because the Travel Channel has a ghost show on 24 hours a day.
4: <laughs> yeah.
2: And, and, they and now have, they have Discovery Plus. And they have Discovery Plus. <laughs> and let me tell you something. If there wasn't people out there that believed in, in the paranormal – there wouldn't be so many dog on go shows but no you movies.
3: you would think that but if you do the math like i just i was just disgusted that manifest was not picked up cuz i just recently found it and i binged all the episodes um,
4: yeah
3: and i saw that their their last episode had 2 million people watching now if you do the math on was it 345 oh, yeah. million people and right. only 2 million people and that, and that was actually a semi hit show then it really doesn't take more than a million or 2 million people for each one of these shows. And a lot of them might be the same people watching yeah, all these right. same shows. So you could really have that, that philosophy could work. 30, 35% could carry a, a heck of a load on TV. Well, you think about 33, that's a hundred million people.
2: Yeah. But, but, but think okay. of it this way of that, of that 350 million people, how many are, are the elderly? How many are babies or, or, or little kids? And you start (laughs) getting in, you know what I'm saying? So if you're... Streamlining a little bit. Yeah, you streamline it a little bit. There's probably a lot more people out there than you think. Well, listen, I think amongst us, it's 100%. 100%. 100%. Fair
3: enough. Yeah. So there's four
4: for
3: four. Shane, tell... Tell everybody how they can uh, keep up with From the Shadows, as far as where they can find you out on social media and how they can the see I can't even keep
4: up
1: with. You on all, the- we're on all the pod Uh We got what? What's our What's our Facebook page? So I can get it right. So, now?
4: so here we go. So we're on. We have a Facebook page called From the Shadows Podcast. Mm-hmm. However, we have a forum page that we direct everybody to called After the Shadows. Uh, it's kind of like a place where everybody posts stuff and can talk about you know after yeah, our shows after you can find us shadows. on any podcatchers. Ex- mm-hmm. except we're not on iHeartRadio for whatever reason we we must not be any good in their eyes apparently but we <laughs> but we have a youtube channel from the, from the shadows podcast instagram we do a lot of stuff on instagram every day of the week we do a different, different you know we content. got today's mothman monday so we kind of every day we do something cool on our instagram page so come you can come find us there um, and if anybody, you know, and and this is our best shows, is when I mean we've interviewed the best of the best, including yourself, uh, in the paranormal fields. But our best shows are when we have people who have experiences that come on yes, and share that. their share their experiences. And we've yeah. I mean, we do our best to find people, people find us. Mm-hmm. Um and those are the ones that the audience really, really responds to because people people are g- telling genuine stories. You can tell how mm-hmm. sincere they are. I mean, I don't really think we've had anybody on that uh, we thought, oh, they're, this
1: is crazy. Tell them about our website too. Oh podcast. yeah, From the
4: shadow. I mean, everything's from the Shadows podcast, okay, yeah. other than the Facebook page after the Shadows. So you can mm-hmm. find us everywhere and anywhere anywhere you get, whether it's on Facebook, Instagram, Uh, Or the website, you can, there's a a way to contact
1: us. And whatever podcaster you're familiar with, uh, podcatcher I should mean, like your Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Yeah, whatever you listen to right now. We're on all of them. Yeah,
4: yeah. And so, and you can also reach out to me. I'm I'm Shane Grove, author on Instagram, or you can find me on Facebook. People do do that, that have stories that, um, you know, don't feel comfortable maybe reaching out to the podcast because they think somebody else is going to read it, but the secret is I read all those too. It's all it's all me. It's all him. It's all me re- reading them. But uh, and I love and we love to talk talk to anybody who you know. We've talked to people who didn't want to come on the show. They just want to talk yeah. to people yeah. and
2: uh, mm-hmm. get it off of their chest. Yeah. Get it off. off want to
1: tell the story and yeah. but they just didn't want to go on air and say it.
2: Yeah, yeah. I even got contacted funny. by somebody on LinkedIn. Who wanted, who didn't want to contact through the show.
1: Did they get, have you ever
2: been
4: contacted on your fans only page (laughs) or only fans? (laughs)
2: Very (laughs) funny, (laughs) but yeah. But then they just want to talk dog man from having a dog man experience, but didn't want to come on the show for reasons of didn't want to be, you know, people making fun of them. So. Well, on our platform you don't have to worry about that our yeah. forum is over we make uh, fun of each other a good yeah, so we're
1: like yeah. mind and they yeah, want to hear what you got to say so we
2: really appreciate you having you on or having us yeah. Yeah. it's back and forth we we appreciate being on your show because you got a great show and i'm sure you got great listeners and and uh, we'd love to have some of your listeners come over and check us out and see if there's anything that, that interests them
3: absolutely remember guys go check them out subscribe and leave a review and mention that you heard about them on hillbilly horror stories thanks guys for coming on i appreciate it awesome thank you We appreciate you having us thanks jerry kristen thank you for sitting in with us tonight well of course and i'm sure your mother will be back next week
0: yeah hopefully but yeah you guys say a prayer for mama